Psalm 70. It's a rather short psalm. But it appears that the purpose of uh, its length uh, is intentional. It seems like what this psalm is uh, for God's people is a, a snapshot, a cheat sheet, if you will. It's a uh, reminder of God's faithfulness, a reminder of God's work and his desire to respond to his people. Now, the reason why we say that this is uh, intentionally short is because this psalm is uh, basically a snippet, a little uh, portion of another psalm. We find this uh, very similar section. It's not like exactly the same, but it's pretty close in Psalm 40. In verses 13 through 17, we find uh, this near identical passage. Psalm 40, verses 13 through 17, we find this. Now, we're not exactly sure. Scholars aren't really sure. Academics are not really sure if this uh, passage was kind of its own thing or if it was adapted. But what is most likely, uh, it seems like, is that it was a, uh, a reprisal of what was already spoken in Psalm 40. Now, if you look perhaps at your, um, at your Bibles, some of them may say that this is a, a psalm of remembrance. And that would kind of make sense with what, what uh, you know, many scholars think, that this is a psalm of remembrance because you are kind of remembering that previous section, remembering God's work. Uh, it's calling your attention to this again. But this psalm kind of stands out separately uh, it's a little portion that's pulled out separately from Psalm 40. Uh, and the difference is here is primarily that in Psalm 40, you have this psalm immediately following a section that's about thanksgiving, about uh, remembering what God has done and God's protection and his care for his people. And then here, this psalm follows in Psalm 40. But in Psalm 70, this portion stands alone. Now, what the reason for this is likely that this one section was probably used uh, within uh, this kind of call and response time that would happen within synagogues or within the temple uh, where the, the priest would be saying something and then the people would be responding together. And so this was perhaps a part of uh, the liturgy that was contained uh, uh, in, this, in this time. There's, there's a thought that perhaps this was used there. But it seems to me like as you look across uh, history, there's, there's no really uh, time limit that they're concerned about. There's no really like time limit that they're concerned about. When you look at, back at some of the Psalms that would have been recited among the people of God, like they weren't really concerned for like brevity. Like they were just, they were throwing down some really long, uh, you know, Psalms. So probably what this was, was more likely adapted for private use in 
in the larger setting, in the larger congregational setting that you would uh, be there with God's people, you would maybe say the larger portion in Psalm 40. But then, in that moment of crisis, in that moment of difficulty, when you were participating in the difficulties of life and suffering and hardship, when you were kind of wondering, like, what's going on? Is God going to respond to me? When it's hard to be in that season of thanksgiving, when there's nothing surrounding that, maybe you need to kind of dip into the scriptures and pull out something to lift you up. And here, it seems as though David pulls this out so that we might kind of have a little cheat sheet to operate with in private, in our private prayers to say, how, how, did, how should we respond to God in times of hardship and difficulty and struggle? And so it seems as though perhaps this is maybe one of the primary uses. Nevertheless, we look at the text. In verse 1, we uh, read this. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. I love how he opens this up. He opens it up with a sense of urgency. Because isn't that the case? Isn't that, this is, that's the situation that, uh, what, what, it, what it demands. A sense of urgency of what it calls for. Because you're not really asking uh, for things in a hurry. You're not really asking for a response in a hurry when you've got plenty of time or when things are comfortable. You're really only looking for that speed when something doesn't feel right. When there's difficulties. When there's hardship, how do, I, how do I make my way out of this situation? And so here's what he says. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. First, his address is to the Lord. Make haste, O Lord, to deliver me. He's not looking inward to participate in his own deliverance. He he's looking to deliverance by calling on the name of another. He's not looking around to those who are his friends and family who could rescue him. He's not looking to those who could loan him some money or could uh, bail him out. But rather, his first call is to the Lord. He's not trying to save himself. He's not trying to get other people to save him. But rather, he is working internally to cast his cares upon the Lord. In facing hardship, in facing affliction, in feeling helpless, his call comes to God. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. So first he's looking for deliverance, and then he's looking for help. The second time he says this, he presses in a little bit more. Now, again, it flies over our heads because we don't, we don't live in this time. But um, the second time that he comes about this, he says similar words, but emphasizes something a bit different. He begins first by saying, make haste, O God, to deliver me. The second time he presses in, he says, O Lord, make haste to help me. The second time he comes around there, he uses a different name. The first time he says, he, he, he points out, he says, make haste, O God, to deliver me. Now, of course, this is the title of God that we have here, Elohim. 
But then the second time around, he presses in a little bit deeper and says, I'm in a relationship with you. The second time that he writes, he says, Oh Lord, make haste to help me. It's in this moment that he calls on the personal name of God. He says, not Elohim again, but rather Yahweh. He uses God's covenant name and how he related to his people. And so what he's doing there is saying, I'm in a relationship with you rightly. And I'm calling on all the promises that are contained in the covenant. And so this is what my expectations are of you. As God, you are one who will respond as a covenant God. And so he comes asking with this same sense of urgency, with the same confidence, with this same promise. In his, uh, in his request, in his approach, before he even gets to his request, he starts with urgency and he starts with relationship. I wonder how much more effective our prayers would be if this was our attitude. Too often, I think, we put off that time of communication with the Lord. Too often, we put off that uh, relationship with Him. We don't press in. We don't pray when we ought to pray. We don't speak to Him when we should be speaking to Him. Because what we instead do is this, like, well, like, I'm not really, like, I don't really have it all together. I'm not really sure what to ask. Like, I, I'm not really, like, I'm not really sure what I'm looking for, or, you know, like, I'm really going to kind of get myself together a little bit more. Like, maybe I should, like, read my Bible for a couple days and, like, kind of get into, like, the holy mode. And then, like, I'll probably be, like, ready at a spot where it's like, okay, like, now I can, now, like, everything's all prepared. I'm all queued up. I'm ready to, to make my request to the Lord. Too often, we operate in our relationship with the Lord as if he is a supervisor, as if he is, uh, you know, one of our, uh, uh, somebody who is overseeing us from a, uh, a perspective of, you know, maybe our career or, um, you know, maybe our academic relationship. We've got to have all of our ducks in a row. We've got to be prepared for the meeting. We've got to have everything all squared away. I've got to have all the, all the tasks and, and all the asks and everything squared away. So that way when we go and we go to, to speak with our supervisor or our boss and we say, hey, you know, is it okay if I, is it okay if I like take a couple days off, you know, or like I really have this thing I want to do, like is it, is it fine? And when we approach those things, we approach them on the basis of wanting to show that we've been a faithful worker. We want to approach them on the basis of, well, I've done all the things, and you know I'm in good standing, and so i gotta got to make sure I massage that relationship a little bit more to get what I want. Most of the time, that's how we relate to God. But it's completely antithetical to the gospel. Because the gospel tells us that when we were his enemies, when we were far from him, he pursued us. He loved us. He pulled us into a relationship with him. And so there was nothing that we could do to please him or to make him happy. We weren't uh, really, you know, a great appealing thing. But yet, he came after us. And as we've come into relationship with him, we approach him now on the basis of sonship. We approach him on the basis of the knowledge that we are in his family. 
And so we can ask whatever we want. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be, we don't have to butter him up because he already knows that we're just a hot mess. We're a wreck. We don't have to do any of those things. You know, too often we uh, hold up our relationship with the Lord, our prayer life with the Lord in terms of kind of not participating because we've got to get those things just right. It's got to be perfect. And I know, because I speak from experience here, this is most of the time how I operate. You know, as early on in, um, in my relationship with my wife, as we went on, we had a lot of, like, email communication and, like, phone calls. And, like, I, I was, like, busy with life and, like, all sorts of stuff. And she lived in the, on the East Coast and I was on the West Coast. And there's a lot of, like, long-distance communication. But in that, in that process, like, she was really good at, about, like, writing and leaving stuff, like, notes and, like, sending me things. And, like, I never would, like, really communicate. Just, like, and then when she finally moved out here, she's like, what's the deal like? Would you, like, like, thought we had something going, like, like, you're not communicating? I was, and I was just like, well, like, I, it was like, it's like, didn't really, like, know exactly what to say, and, like, it wasn't, like, ever, like, refined enough and, like, perfect where I was, like, feel confident, like, okay, like, I'm ready to send out. She's like, I don't care about that. She want, like, constant communication, not, like, perfection. You don't have to, like, create this masterpiece every time and tie it up in a bow and make sure that it's delivered just right. And I think that's how we approach the Lord a lot of times. Okay, I got to get this ready. It's not right. It's not ready for him yet. I'm not in a good standing. I don't feel good about myself. When all the while, all he's saying is like, I just want constant communication. It doesn't have to be very technical. It's like, you could speak to me like a baby. He just wants to speak. He'll interpret. He'll figure it out. He'll train you. He's desiring to know us to enjoy that relationship that he shed his blood to give us. And so, when it comes to perfection versus that constant communion, the constant communication of fellowship, he wants that constant communication. He will be the one who refines you. He will be the one that shapes you. And so the psalmist makes this cry. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. And now as we come into verse 2, we get a glimpse of some of the help that he needs. He's asking for a reason. He feels a bit helpless. He feels that there's some sort of urgency here. What the reason is, is because there are those who are after him. Quite frankly, he says it in three specific ways. There are those who are trying to kill him. There are those who are excited about harming him. And then finally, there are those who are mocking him. He says this, verse 2, Let them be put to shame in confusion who seek my life. Let them be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let them turn back because of their shame who say, aha, aha. 
So there's these three things that happen here. They're pursuing him on the basis of death. They want to kill him. They take pleasure in harming him, in injuring him. He says that they delight in his hurt. And then they are mocking him. Now, this is what is said here when, uh, when we get to these words, aha, like we think like we've found something like aha, or like it's, we're discovering something like that. But here, uh, th- this is actually a, a Hebrew expression of joy. What, what is being said here is that they are delighting in this person's uh, anguish. They're delighting in mocking them. They are feel this sense of, of uh, anxiety that is being placed upon them. They're, they're kind of jeering at them. And so that's, that's really what's happening here. When they're saying, aha, aha. It's actually kind of just like uh, a poor translation because uh, the Hebrew word is like hiach. And it's, they just kind of jumbled some words around, it seems like to me. It's, These enemies of the psalmist are in hot pursuit. And this is the cause of anguish. There are those who want to seek out and injure, kill, mock. And I want you to notice here, in the midst of this, again, the primary weapon that the psalmist uses is not summoning friends and family, not calling upon the nearest relative who is strong, not hiding himself in a fortress, but rather prayer. The primary weapon against both physical harm that he says here and this emotional uh, anxiety, worry, fear, oppression that he's experiencing, he handles both of them in prayer. And he prays that his enemies would fail. I love that. He just is straight up like, just let these guys fail. (laughs) Not only let them fail, Let them be put to shame in confusion. Let them be turned back. What he's doing here is, uh, again, relating to God on the promises of the covenant. He's relating to God on the promises of the covenant. He's not just some guy who's like a little bit salty and he's like, oh, those people are trying to get me, like I'm going to get them. Wait, you know, like, oh, I'm, I got this guy. He's going to come after you. Like, that's, he's, not, he's not just like some person who's like upset and he's like, well, I'm going to find a way to make them pay. He's relating to, uh, to God in prayer and he's relating to his enemies on the basis of the covenant. Because what is the covenant? Well, we find that God tells his people in this covenant, if you obey me and you follow my laws, then you will receive blessings. But if you do not, then you will receive cursings. And those who oppose my people will also be cursed. And so what he's essentially just saying is, Lord, there's some people who are uh, opposing me. 
and I'm a part of your covenant, and I know what you do with those people who oppose your people, so like, why don't you handle this business? Like, that's really all he's getting at. He's not salty. He's not trying to like wreck these people for the sake of wrecking them. He's not trying to operate in revenge. He's appealing to God's justice. Now, it's important that we are aware that he is appealing to God's justice because God's justice is perfect, right? He's saying, God, you do your thing. You do your thing. I'm going to let you do your thing. I'm not going to tell you how to do your job because God will decide what needs to be done with what intensity, with what timing, with what strength. It's God who will be the one who will decide. Now, he continues in verse 3 by dealing now with himself and with those who are in these situations of difficulty, those who are in these situations of hardship. He says this, May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great. Now, there's like a whole bunch of different kind of like translation versions of this section. They're all great. They're all great. So I'm not going to dive down them all because we could just be like here for forever. But the psalmist now turns his attention to himself. First, he's one who is found in prayer. He's one who's leaning on the promises of God, a covenant God, both for God to hear him and both for God to deal with his enemies rightly, God to operate in justice properly. And now he speaks to himself. And he speaks to those who would be in these similar situations. Because when you're in these situations, what we tend to do, what we like to do, is we like to take these first three steps, like, because you, you know we're, we're growing, we're being sanctified, we're learning. But this is the step that we're just not good at. This last one. We're really good at the part where, now, where we're like, okay, I'm going to do the right thing. I'm supposed to pray. Got it. Check on it. Did it. Yes. Okay. I, I remembered. I'm a part of God's family. I prayed. I, I think he's going to do the right thing. I, I, I had an issue. I had, I had trouble. So I'm, I'm coming to him in prayer. Did it. Check. We, went, we go through like all those steps. And then, and then as, soon as, we, as soon as we hang up the phone with God, we're just like, well, got that out of the way. Not calling him back on that. Right? But remember, this is constant communication, not perfection in communication. So the first way we go wrong is we just make the call once. We, we, we appeal to God once on something. We're not dealing with him throughout the day. We're not dealing with him with, with what's going on inside of us throughout the day after that. It's a huge mistake. It's a huge mistake that we often make. Because what doesn't go away after that? It goes away for a second. You're like, oh, I feel better about myself. And then like in 10 minutes, you're like, oh, dang, like I'm so stressed out about that thing again. 
And so instead of going back and starting at the beginning and being like, okay, like I need to pray again and press into this again, instead, then it's at that second time where we say, oh yeah, what's that, world? like who's that one really rich person that I know that probably helped me out with this? Oh, who's that one really strong person? Like immediately after we get through that first round, we're like, there's probably somebody around here like I can make this happen. Like I got this. The second time is when we fall. We get a little bit good at the first time. But it's constant communication that we need to grow in. We're returning again and again and again when those uh, things creep up in our hearts. After a little bit of time goes by, after 10 minutes goes by, we need to return, return to Jesus and ask for help. And then guess what? Another 10 minutes is going to go by and you're probably going to get stressed out again. And then you probably got to return. And you return and you return and you return and you return and you return. This is the pattern that we live in. Because again, we're calling on a covenant God who will be faithful. Now, there is good news because the more that you walk with the Lord, the greater the amount of time that happens between those times that you need to return because you grow in faith. You see, oh yeah, last time I had to like keep getting in prayer like every 10 minutes because like I did not believe. But then you see that God is faithful, that he did his thing. Then the next time you're like, okay, like this feels like a little bit uncomfortable, but like, like I can pray, I'm going to trust. And maybe you like grow a little bit more in faith and you're like, okay, I, I was able to trust for like 15 minutes this time. Then you got to go back. But over time, you, you learn what it is. You learn those, those triggers that exist in your heart. And all of a sudden you can feel your own flesh creeping up. You can feel the enemy bringing worries upon you. Now, David tells us, here's how you get around this. You got to take the next step. If you want to survive, if you want to survive in these circumstances, you can't just hasten to the Lord in prayer. You can't just be one who is remembering that you're a part of the covenant family. You can't be appealing only to God on dealing with his enemies on that, on your, with your enemies on that basis or your circumstances on that basis. But rather, you have to replace that worry, that concern with concern for God's glory. So you take out what you were concerned about and you remember again that you're instead supposed to be concerned about God's glory. This is what David says in verse 4. May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great. Now, David is not joyful, and we ought not to be joyful because our enemies are going to get whooped. Like, that's not what he's getting at here. But rather, that you have joy in the Lord in the midst of hardship. May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. When you come to the Lord in prayer, when you're seeking him in prayer, be glad, rejoice that you have a relationship with him, that you have found him. If you come to the Lord in prayer, you will not go away empty. You will not be disappointed. You will not be discouraged. He will be everything that you need him to be. He will meet every need that you ask of him. Maybe not in the way that you want it, but he's going to meet it. He's going to come and to address the depths of your heart. 
not just the surface level stuff that you're like faking telling him about. He's going to come correct and help you. The psalmist puts his heart in the place where he is replacing his worries, his anxieties, his fears, with concern now instead for God's glory. May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you, and may those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great. This is the new rhythm. This is the new uh, refrain that our hearts need to sing in these moments. So instead of every 10 minutes you're just like, oh, I'm worried again, you're saying, God is great. God is great. I'm rejoicing in the Lord. I'm so glad that I, I know him. I can enjoy him, that I can pursue him. I'm so thankful for what he's done for me. He's giving us a new song, something to put in our hearts. At the same time, he says, he, he, he contrasts this with your status, that you got nothing, that you're broke, and that you were only found to be made whole. You're given fullness and riches in Christ. Right? This is what he says here. He's confessing poverty of spirit in verse 5. But I am poor and needy. He's like, I got nothing. I'm on my own. I got nowhere to turn but you, Lord. He's decided that he's cutting off all the other options. There's, there, I, I don't have anything else to turn to. I'm not going to go seek help anywhere else. I'm not going to pursue anything else. You're it. I am poor and needy. Hasten to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. He finishes similar to how he has started. Urgency. There's not a moment to lose. He doesn't wait. He doesn't let fear. He doesn't let anxiety. He doesn't let worry captivate, like, captivate his heart. He doesn't become enslaved to these things, but rather rushes to the Lord. He makes this confession, I am poor and needy. I am poor and needy. But then, simultaneously, he's laying out the prescription. You are my help and my deliverer. I'm poor and needy. There's the problem. I'm stuck. You are my help and my deliverer. And so, therefore, Lord, come to me. Do not delay. There's one thing that I think is noteworthy. He points out that he is poor and needy. He is someone who has humbled himself. It may be very obvious or it may be uh, concealed a bit that he's poor and needy to those who are around him. But we finish with this um, third affirmation 
of his belief in the covenant God. Because God relates to his people in the covenant on the basis of relationship, not on the basis of status. And so he calls out in his situation and expects help even though he's not someone who is qualified and rich, not someone who is uh, said to have things together, to have a great plan, to just need a little bit of a boost. He just says, like, I have nothing to offer you. He just comes straight out and says it. And a part of the covenant was that God would always protect those who were most vulnerable, those who were poor and needy. as they were in right standing with him, as they were in relationship with him. And this is why he can say so confidently, I am poor and needy. Here's my status, but my status is also my request. Like, I'm in trouble. But then his relationship to God is also the answer. You are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. You see, he's rescued not by God taking care of his enemies. That may or may not happen according to God's plan. But he is found to be rescued here in verse 5 by God simultaneously being the help and the deliverer. He's both of these things to the psalmist. The answer to uh, David's prayer comes like in that same sentence there. Here's my situation. You're the answer. He's prepared. Oh, Lord, do not delay. It's that attitude of haste that we ought to take on as God's people. Why ought we to delay when we have access to the creator of all things, to the author and finisher of our faith? When we are invited in on the basis of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Why delay? Why delay? There is no reason. There's no reason. But we're invited, and so we ought to be taking advantage of all the fullness that is offered us. We're not outsiders. We belong in the household of faith. And so as we move forward together, let's approach him with confidence, knowing that we are given full access, a full relationship with him. We can fully enjoy him. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful for your faithfulness, for your kindness to us. And we pray that as um, we respond now, that you would help us to see you clearly. set our face 
Lord. Not upon the cares of this world, but upon the beauty of Jesus. And so, Lord, we ask now that you would cause us, that you would call us to repentance over our own preferences. That you would call us to repentance over our own timing. You call us to repentance over our pride. And when we know that we fully belong to you, we're not our own. We don't make our own rules. We don't get to live our own way. And so, Lord, we want to turn away from that this morning and live in complete and full dependence upon you in relationship with the covenant God. We're thankful that you're faithful to us. So Lord, we want to, to enter rightly into that relationship. We want to provoke those around us to love and good works. We don't want to be found um, to be a people, Lord, where we're just letting letting sin and unhealthy things be in the camp, but we want to pursue you rightly together. So Lord, work in us. Call us to respond now. I love you. Amen.